Welcome to the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast, a view of culture, current events, and politics through a biblical lens with your hosts, Neil Boron, Bob Duco, Roger Marsh, and John Rush. Today's topic is a Christian look at gun violence and the Second Amendment. And now let's join the conversation. This is the National Crawford Roundtable, and we're very happy to be with you folks again today on the Crawford Broadcasting Network. And I'm joined, of course, by Neil Boron. Neil Boron out of Buffalo, New York. Roger Marsh out of Southern California. John Rush out of Denver. Myself, Bob Duco, out of Detroit. Gentlemen, how are you today? Very good. Good to be here, Bob. That's good to be with Very all well. of you. Good to be with all You're of great. you. But we try to take a different issue each week, a different hot topic, and examine this. Something going on in today's culture, but through a biblical lens, kind of a Christian look at today's world. And you guys know one of the things that we deal with on a fairly regular basis are these mass shootings, horrific mass shootings. We saw, of course, the mass shooting that took place in Dayton, Ohio, and El Paso, Texas, within the last few weeks. And it does seem like every few weeks or few months, we have another mass shooting like this. And then there's big debates across the country. And as believers, I think it's important for us to come together and talk about this through a biblical lens and kind of have a Christian discussion on the issue of mass shootings. And so there's a lot of different aspects that we want to talk about in this hour, about guns, the Second Amendment, how we stop these mass shootings, a Christian perspective on this. But one of the first places, I guess, guys, that we can start is the mere concept of Christians owning guns in the first place. Now, just I don't mind admitting I'm a gun owner. I own multiple guns. I wouldn't consider myself a gun expert, but as a Christian, I own guns. And if somebody breaks into my home and tries to harm my wife or my children— uh, you better believe I'm prepared to defend my family. I don't want to have to do it. I hope that never happens. But as a Christian, I see nothing wrong with owning guns. And let me toss it out to you guys. I mean, Neil, first of all, is there anything anything biblically that would cause us as Christians to feel like we're, we're somehow sinning or it's wrong or it's unchristlike if a Christian wants to own a gun? I personally don't think we would be sinning by owning guns. I'm not a gun owner. Uh, but I have a lot of friends who are. Uh, you being one of them, of course. Uh, our general manager here uh, is an avid uh, Second Amendment uh, guy, and he owns guns. I have a lot of friends that own guns, and, and many who who don't. But uh, I don't personally. I don't think the Bible addresses it directly. I don't see that in there, and we can talk about that more specifically. But I, I think, based on Romans fourteen, uh, you know, section that's about really freedom that we have mm-hmm. in Christ. We need to make wise choices. And I think, honestly, something like this falls there. Now, I realize people are going to disagree with that, but that would be my take on it. Well, and that's a fair point. I mean, Romans 14, of course, the context is is eating meat, but the general principle is if there's something that you believe that you, for conscience sake is wrong for you to do, then obviously you need to obey your conscience in that area. But right. if you recognize the freedom in Christ to go ahead and eat the meat, eat whatever meat that you want, I would argue the same principle applies uh, for gun ownership as well. Uh, Roger, what's your take on this? And should Christians feel awkward or uneasy about the idea of even owning a gun? Well, Bob, that's an interesting question because I know a lot of Christians who do feel uneasy about it. And I know that probably just as many who don't. 
I'm like with Neil. I'm not a gun owner. I have uh, I, I, my best friend growing up was and he used to say, hey, let's go to the shooting range. And every now and again, we would go and, you know, take a shot. And I know what it's like to actually discharge a weapon. Uh -huh. But in terms of the, in terms of Christians, you know, and, and not being able to own a gun or or have a gun, you know, in their presence. I was thinking back to a time it was in 2007. Uh, you remember the uh, the uh, the shooting at the uh, the New Life Church in Colorado Springs, right. and uh, I was I was actually part of a broadcast team that was there to do some work with another ministry that was in town, and we were staying at the same hotel as the recovery team from there. You know, the guys who were doing kind of uh, uh, the, the healing and prayer and that type of thing. And reading more about that and finding out that you know a member of the church was there who had a weapon on her. You know, when a guy walks into a church, I thought. Wow, that was a novel concept to me. The idea that somebody would have a gun in a place like a church or a restaurant and use mm -hmm. it for good. I thought, hey, this is great. I mean, this is mm -hmm. really good. So in terms of Christians being armed, I'm all for it. All right. And I know, John, John Rush, uh, you're a gun owner, aren't you? Uh, you could say that. I probably have, uh, I don't want to disclose how many, but let's just say that we could all go to the range with no problem and I would make sure all of you are well <laughs> But I'm the amateur then. I thought I was a Johnny Gun owner here, but it sounds like I, I defer to you and your expertise in this area. So safe to say as a brother in Christ, you don't really feel that it's inappropriate or unchristlike to own a gun. I, I grew up in a Christian home, as I've said before, and my dad uh, very much an outdoorsman kind of an individual. We, you know, he taught my brother and I both how to shoot at a very early age. I mean, I probably learned how to shoot, you know, the, the lower caliber weapons, uh, not counting a BB gun, but I mean, mm -hmm. real actual, you know, firearms, probably at age six or seven. That's how long I've been, you know, around that end of things. And, and I'm still a, an avid owner, I'm collector, I, I should say, in, in in particular weapons, which you know I will not get into. I mean, I'm an, I, am I an expert when it comes to every particular gun that's on the market? I don't know that I would consider myself an expert, but I'm not a novice either. So sure. to your point, Bob, no, I do not feel like there's anything wrong with a Christian uh, of any sort owning and, and owning a weapon and or using it to defend themselves. And I know we're going to get into this a little later, but really the Second Amendment doesn't even apply to what I just said. It's for a completely different reason. Right. Uh, and we are going to get into the Second Amendment too in a little bit. But l let me ask you though, John, the, uh, we're all talk show hosts, okay? We've all had these debates with our listeners uh, on our shows. And one of the things I've heard, I don't know if you've ever heard this, is that some anti-gun people will sometimes ask, well, would Jesus own a gun? Okay, can you imagine Jesus owning a gun? Uh, how do you respond? My answer back would be, of course, Jesus was a man's man. If there's anything, and I know we talked a little bit about this in our last podcast last week, but you know, I believe Jesus was the ultimate man's man. And granted, he did not live in our time that we have today, but I believe if he did, would he own and use weapons and hunt and fish and do all the other things that we men do I believe wholeheartedly that yes, he would. Yes, he would. I feel like we, pardon the, the language here, but I think we wussified Jesus far too much, even inside of the church. And I think Jesus was the ultimate man's man. And I think for a fact, he would own a gun. All right, Neil, I, I can tell you, there's going to be some people listening going, wait a minute here. I'm sorry. I cannot picture Jesus packing heat. <laughs> I think some of this comes down to intent, though, because when you say own a gun, the first thing that some people think is, well, you would want to have a gun to kill other people. If it was a self-defense issue, I think he might own a gun. And if it was for hunting, then I guarantee he would own a gun if, if he owned anything at all, because he didn't even have a place to lay his head. 
did he own a fishing net? I don't know, but he went fishing with a lot of people, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, another. Uh, what about a hammer? I mean, his earthly father was a carpenter. At any point, did he ever own a hammer? I don't know if he did or not, but I don't see why he wouldn't. So if it was, you know, on the issue of hunting or recreation, if guns even existed then, of course he would have owned a gun. Uh, that's my opinion. I probably tick off a lot of my own listeners by saying that. We get that kind of heat sometimes, but yeah, I think he would. All right, Roger. So no problem then with with the idea of uh, with the idea of Jesus maybe out of the shooting range. Yeah, no, no problem at all. I, I kind of echo though what Neil said. You know, we have to ask the question in terms of intent. Um, you know, what would have been necessary? Would he? You know, for what purpose would he use it? Obviously, he'd use it for good. But you're right. Back to the hammer issue too. We can talk all day about you know gun control and gun bans and things like that. But how many people die from hammer accidents and things like that in the modern culture now, too? The hammer could be just as lethal as the gun. I know. Well, Mm -hmm. you know, it's true. Well, if you think about it, though, whenever people have asked me, well, do you think Jesus would carry a gun? I'm like, he probably would have one of his people carry the gun for him. He wouldn't necessarily carry. I mean, Donald Trump, before he was president, and even now, he doesn't carry his own briefcase. Uh, He's got people that carry them for them. But to me, I look at... I look at 2,000 years ago. The gun didn't exist 2,000 years ago. Today, in 2019, the gun is the most lethal personal weapon of the day. 2,000 years ago, the sword was the most lethal personal weapon of the day. And so did Jesus consider it wrong for people to carry swords? If he did, then it's contradictory because, quite frankly, his disciples carried swords. He even instructed his disciples when he sent them out, if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. So the idea was to make sure that they are at least equipped to defend themselves. And swords, let's be honest, they weren't used for whittling. They were used for self-defense. And I don't see anything wrong with uh, if Jesus considered it appropriate and even necessary to carry for self-defense the most lethal personal weapon of the day, a deadly weapon, then I certainly see no reason why, if he chose today to come to earth, that he wouldn't certainly welcome his disciples carrying guns as well. But we're going to talk some more about this. There's a lot of different aspects of this that I want to discuss, but one of the things that's very important for all of us as believers is to make sure that everything we look at in life, in culture, in entertainment, in politics, that our worldview is a biblical worldview, that we look at everything in life through a Christian and biblical lens. And that's one of the reasons why I really encourage people to listen to Steve Gregg and his show, The Narrow Path. Steve Gregg is a Christian apologist. He's a Bible teacher. He has been for over four decades. And he does a phenomenal show called The Narrow Path. And The Narrow Path focuses on everything in life, but strictly through a biblical lens. And it's really a cool show. I mean, it's a one-hour show that you can call in and ask whatever questions you have about the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, anything you're not sure about, what does it mean, how do you understand it? And Steve Gregg is an expert when it comes to answering those kinds of questions. And so here's what I encourage everybody to do. Number one, listen to the show. Go to thenarrowpath.com and find out where it plays in your market. But then secondly, support the show. Support the show financially because it is a listener and donation-supported show. 
And the best way to support is the same place. Go to thenarrowpath.com, thenarrowpath.com. Click on the Donations tab in the upper right-hand corner and donate and support that great ministry of The Narrow Path through Steve Gregg. Continuing our discussion with John Rush, Roger Marsh, Neil Boron, myself, Bob Duco, uh, having a Christian look at gun violence and the Second Amendment. And gentlemen, let's talk about the issue of swords and how that was the most lethal personal weapon of the day 2,000 years ago. Jesus obviously had no problem with his disciples carrying swords. He even instructed them to carry swords. But Neil, let me toss this to you. I know we've heard this many times from people that uh, Peter, when Peter drew his sword to cut off Malchus's ear and uh, Jesus told him to put away that sword. He who lives by the sword dies by the sword. And that's one of the common arguments that I'll hear from anti-gun Christians. Well, what about Peter? What about living by the sword? Aren't you living by the gun? How do you respond? Well, I, in my opinion, Jesus was referring more to a worldview than anything else. I mean, he used the terminology live and die by the sword. He mentioned that word. But what I really see Jesus saying there is, you know, are you going to live your life on human terms or are you going to live it according to the kingdom? And so I really think what he was doing was inviting his followers and anyone else who would listen to consider, you know, which, uh, which drumbeat they were going to be marching to as far as who they were going to follow after and give allegiance to. And I think he was calling them to a higher purpose. So I, I think he was simply saying uh, look at this isn't going to be about you if you want this to be effective. It's going to be about following me and the principles of the kingdom, and I think there's a better way. That's right. what I believe he was getting at. Well, and Roger, I think that's a good point that Neil makes here. Jesus wasn't instructing Peter to basically not have a sword. He, was, uh, mm-hmm. he saw that Peter was living in the flesh, was thinking in the flesh. Jesus had a greater purpose to accomplish here, and there's a difference between living your life by the sword as opposed to having one for protection. Absolutely, and the fact that you brought up earlier, Bob, in our conversation about how Jesus instructed, you know, if you've got one, you know, get two, that type of thing. There's a time to have a sword. There's a time to use a sword. But yet, right, in the context here, here we are in the garden. Jesus is about to go fulfill the Father's will for his life and for our plan of salvation. And for Peter to get caught up in the moment emotionally and say, you know, what what Peter would typically do, which is, hey, you can't go after Jesus, you know, I'm here to defend this guy. Uh, It's a great reminder for that moment, but also for all of us, for all eternity. There's a time for this. There's a time for that. And this moment, if you make that your go-to, instead of saying, what is my ultimate purpose? You know, who am I trying to uh, live my life for? Um, If you're not living for the Lord, then you may as well live by the sword. And it's all bets are off at that point. No, so true. I mean, John, they do do this, though. They'll throw up the anti-gun crowd. will throw up the uh, Peter and living and dying by the sword issue. Yeah, and they do. And and by the way, I agree with what Neil and Roger both said. And I think the other thing we have to realize is when Jesus was saying that, what was actually happening and what he was doing, he was laying his life down for us. And that was part of the plan and the process. And he didn't want, you know, Peter messing that up. But to your point, Bob, yeah, you, you hear that a lot. And I do believe what Roger and Neil said, there is a time for everything. And I think one of the things that that the other side doesn't necessarily realize, understand, or even want to understand. And we talk about concealed carry, for example, and I'm a concealed carry uh, individual myself. And one of the things that they teach us when you go to even get your concealed weapon permit and the, the training that you have to go through 
is to you guys' point, you do every single thing possible to not even pull your weapon. In other words, what they tell you is if you're going to pull your weapon, you better be ready to pull the trigger because otherwise don't pull the weapon. So whatever you need to do to not pull it, yes, that should be the first response. And I think, frankly, folks, that's why the, the amount of gun ownership we have in America, the amount of concealed carry ownership we have in America, which, by the way, continues to increase. And yet the shootings of those individuals, other than to other, other than to defer a very volatile situation, it continues to go down. In fact, homicides, homicide rates in general are have fallen, even though gun ownership has increased. So I think you can own a gun very easily and still look at things very rationally and approach it in a very rational manner, much like you guys are talking about in the Garden of Gethsemane. You don't always have to use the gun, but when it's needed, it's there. Right, exactly. Well, and look, John, you're a gun owner, but I don't think that you live by the gun. It's not that you live by the gun or die by the gun, but you've got it for protection if needed, just like Peter had his sword for protection. And for all the people who say, well, Jesus told Peter, put away your sword, live by the sword, die by the sword. Notice what Jesus said and what he didn't say. He said, put away your sword. He didn't say, throw away your sword. He didn't say, Peter, what are you doing with a sword in the first place? What are you kidding me? You need to break that thing and throw it into the sea. Uh, In today's terminology, what Jesus basically said is, you know, no, 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 no. You're thinking in the flesh, put that gun back in its holster. Okay. That's pretty much what he told him. Uh, Yeah, exactly. He didn't say throw the thing away, sell it, get rid of it altogether. What he said was, this is not the time. This is the way I read it. Right. This is not the time or place for that. There will be, and there may be but this isn't one of those times. Right. Now, Roger, what about those who say that as Christians, we're supposed to be putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and not putting our faith and trust in Smith and Wesson? And so if you're owning a gun, (laughs) what you're really saying is, well, I'm not trusting in the Lord to protect me. I'm trusting in my gun. Yeah, that's a a common complaint that I hear from a lot of people. And and my response to that is, do you use seatbelts in your car when you're driving? Right. (laughs) Um, You know, the the reality is there are things that are designed to protect us. And I've got airbags in my car. I've never had one deploy. It's it's there for a a safety measure, a protection measure. It, It all goes back to the motives that Neil was talking about earlier, the motives of what are you going to use the gun for? Your point very well taken about, you know, this is not throw away your sword. It's put away your sword. And so the fact that you own a gun doesn't necessarily mean that you're a menace to society or probably more importantly, it's not that you don't trust God. I mean, that's the thing. The fact that your faith is placed in Jesus Christ and you trust him that every moment, you know, of every day, every breath that he gives you is completely ordained by him. But having said that in the same way, and it's funny, the seatbelt analogy, I remember, I don't know if you guys have had the comedian Jeff Allen on before your program, oh, yeah. but uh, yeah, Jeff, isn't he hilarious? And he, he does that thing about standing in the back seat of his grandmother's or his mom's car. And if she hit the brakes too hard, his airbag was, he fell over into the front seat. That was, that's the kind of, you know, it's, and we all chuckle about that because we know that was kind of dangerous, but he wasn't tempting God. He was being a kid. Well, in the same way we want to put those protections in and using a gun for protection and saying, I have it in case I need it. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I think that doesn't mean we don't trust God any less. No, it's, it's a great point. And Neil, to that point that, that Roger makes here, uh, I lock my doors at night in my home. That doesn't mean that I'm putting my faith in schlage instead of Jesus Christ, but it means that I'm taking practical steps to protect myself and my family. I don't see anything ungodly or unbiblical about those of us who choose to own guns uh, having this as a precautionary tool. 
I don't either. And I think you, the list could be infinitely long. I mean, I shovel my sidewalk here in Buffalo, New York, and I get the ice off it because as for protection, so nobody falls and hurts themselves. We save for retirement, you know, because we want to be mindful of the future. Um, a couple other things I want to say, uh, but first, let me let me jump in for a minute and just say, you know, that a lot of people uh, tell us how much they've grown through the Bible teaching ministry of Pastor Alistair Begg on Truth For Life, and so I wanted to pause for just a minute uh, to encourage people to pay attention. What an incredible impact the ministry's had over the years, Alistair Begg uh, faithfully proclaiming God's truth every day so that, you know, lives like yours and mine can be transformed. Well, here at the Crawford Broadcasting Company, we value the partnership that we share with Truth For Life, and we want to make sure that their podcast can, or their broadcast can continue on our station for years to come. If you enjoy studying God's Word verse by verse each day with Alistair Begg, tr- send Truth For Life a gift of support. And just make a donation today. Go to truthforlife.org. That's truthforlife.org. Or call 888-588-7884. And be sure to let them know which Crawford Broadcasting Station you listen to each day or that you listen to this podcast. Um, you know, let me pick it back up again and say we're talking. I, I think that this whole thing about like, does it mean we're not trusting God if if we own a gun? It comes back to a fear issue. Um, one thing I'm afraid of is finding out exactly what background uh, check laws exist in Colorado because if John Rush has a concealed <laughs> carry permit, I think we need Uh-oh. a full scale investigation. Yeah, <laughs> but that's that's a different issue entirely. I don't know. <laughs> Here, well, hey, look, John. Walk- I'll tell you why, though, John. If if I'm at a store somewhere, if I'm at a restaurant, and you're with me, and you're carrying, I'm going to tell you. I know we joke around, but I'm going to feel a whole lot safer because I'd yep. rather have somebody there that's in a position to be able to protect the rest of us. And our concealed carry owners are they going to be as trained, we'll say, as a police officer? Well, no, of course not. I've had people say, well, Bob, you really think they're going to be just as trained and, and just as And I was like, no, if I had to choose, John, between you and a 20-year veteran police officer, okay, uh, I would rather have him. But if I have to choose between you and and no one to protect me, and no weapon to throw against them except some parsley off a plate, uh, then I'll take you all day long. Well, and and Bob, let me add something to what you just said there. There's a misconception out there that police are more trained than even civilians, and it depends on the force and where they're at. There are particular situations in this country where an officer may only put a box of ammo, that's 50 rounds, through his weapon, in an entire year, and I'm not exaggerating when I say that. So in some cases, the guy that's at the gun range every week might actually be more trained and be able to even handle the situation as well as a police officer. Yeah, and, and Let he me might just be... jump on that for a second and yeah, say I ahead. totally agree with John because I've had police officers here in the Buffalo area say that exact same thing, that they've actually gone out to get additional training on their own because they haven't necessarily received sufficient training through the police force. So, well, John, you're 100% correct. And by the way, I have no doubt that there's going to be that there's going to be some cases like that where a police officer isn't going to be as proficient as, we'll say, a concealed carry holder. But my point is, I don't even think we need to hang our hat on that. Even if we say, as a general rule, usually, on average, a police officer is going to be more proficient than your average concealed carry person. Even if that's an average across the board, I don't care. I'll take a concealed carry person who's not as proficient 
all day long over top of somebody who can do nothing more than throw their purse at a gunman. Uh, so to me, I think concealed carry is certainly a positive and benefit uh, benefit uh, benefited thing for all of us. But let me ask you guys, though, what about, because we've all heard this one before, too. Well, you're Christians. What about thou shalt not kill? All right. You get, we get that bumper sticker cliche thrown in our face from Scripture. How do we respond? Thou shalt not kill. It's thou shalt not murder. There's right. nothing there that cannot defend yourself. Right. Exactly. Well, people don't realize that kill, the Hebrew word there for kill is ratzak, which means to murder or to take innocent life. So that's what we're forbidden from doing, taking innocent life. And uh, Neil, I think this is an area where a lot of people are just unfortunately biblically illiterate. I agree, and I, I also want to say on this point, my understanding is that it says thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not dash to pieces, you know, um, reckless taking of innocent human life. Uh, I think it's an offense to a holy God. Uh, however, defending innocent human life and protecting the life that God created, including our own, I think is something that uh, God would support. I'm thinking, by the way, that on just the issue of killing, if you're just going to focus on the word kill, you got uh, the voice that came to Peter in Acts 10 saying, arise, Peter, kill and eat. Kill and so, eat. yeah, I mean, on the issue of killing animals, don't some people try to say don't kill anything. So I've actually felt guilty stepping on an ant before, wondering if, <laughs> if uh, you know, if God would be upset. But, uh, you know, read Revelation 19. There's going to be a battle of Armageddon, and the forces of good are going to triumph over the forces of evil. And the one sitting on the white horse is going to have the words King of Kings and Lord Lords written on his thigh. And I think we need to take that kind of thing into account. Um, is God a warmonger? No, I don't think so. But there's a place for this kind of a conversation, particularly in the area of self-defense. Well, there is. And let's explore self-defense. I mean, there are some Christians who feel that somehow we're not even allowed to defend ourselves. Well, uh, turn the other cheek. Aren't we supposed to turn the other cheek? And it's like, they don't get the context of what Jesus is referring to there. That's not a self-defense discussion. That's a returning evil for evil, returning insult for insult, uh, backhanding someone in an insulting way. If somebody insults you and says, your mother wears combat boots, we don't come back and go, <laughs> oh, yeah, well, your mother wears uglier combat boots. We don't trade insult for insult. Jesus wasn't saying we don't defend ourselves. And, and, and I think, frankly, Roger, this is something that's – as to Neil's point, a lot of people just don't really understand what Scripture says about this. They really don't, and they don't understand the context of, like, for a lot of the Pauline epistles in the New Testament and how many athletic images Paul uses in terms of, you know, training, disciplining your body, and even boxing and fighting. I mean, in terms of saying, hey, this is the defense I'm going to offer. I'm going to be able to withstand these blows and actually land a couple of my own. Not to kill somebody, but to, to make a point. There's a, to, to John's point, too, the wussification of Jesus and the Bible and everything like that gets us to the point now where you figure, okay, well, if a guy comes at me with a gun and wants to steal my car or whatever it is, um, you know, I just have to let him do it because I, that's what Jesus would do. Instead mm -hmm. of saying, hey, wait a minute, there's a big difference between going on the offensive and actually putting up a defense, especially when it comes to your family. So, I mean, spouses, children, grandchildren, friends. I mean, we have to be willing to take a bullet for someone or lay down your life for somebody else. And, and that may involve saying, okay, I've got a weapon. A good friend of mine is part of a team at his church off-duty police officers, retired military, and CCW uh, holders, and they all are providing security at their church every Sunday. They all take different church assignments in terms of the service times. They sit in different places strategically. They've all been trained, but there was a threat on their pastor's life once, and they take it very seriously. So 
Uh, it kind of brings us full circle in the first half hour of the conversation here to say, yes, there's nothing wrong with Christians defending themselves and if guns are the means that they use, so be it. Right. Well, it's very true. Very true. So let's do this because there's a lot more that we're going to be talking about uh, in the second half hour because I want to get into uh, with you gentlemen the mass shootings themselves. People say, well, then we got to do something. Okay. How do we stop these mass shootings and how do we make sure that another Dayton, Ohio, another El Paso, Texas doesn't happen? Is more guns really the answer? So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about some of the efforts to uh, ban guns or certain types of guns. As Christians, should we be supporting that? What about gun-free zones? What about schools? Should teachers be allowed to be armed? Should people be allowed to take guns to church? I mean, how do we approach these issues? We're going to dive into a lot of these issues in the second half of this discussion of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. Talking here on the National Crawford Roundtable podcast with John Rush, Roger Marsh, Neil Boron, myself, Bob Duco. Let me ask you guys about this, the mass shootings. We saw what happened in Dayton, Ohio, El Paso, Texas. Obviously, none of us want to see these kinds of horrific tragedies happen. Uh, we want it to stop, but typically when something like this does happen, I'm going to get all political now, the uh, liberal left wing in this country, of course, they start screaming, we need more gun laws. We need to uh, ban this and ban this, and we need to add more restrictions on gun laws to stop somehow these mass shootings. Look, I would love it if these mass shootings didn't take place. It breaks my heart when we see people die uh, in these kinds of massacres. But it doesn't seem to me that adding a bunch of new gun laws are going to save anybody's lives. If they would, I'd be all for them. But, uh, John, let me ask you, John Rush, of course, you're a a gun owner. We hear so much, hey, let's ban the AR-15 or let's ban, quote-unquote, assault weapons or we need to get guns off the street. Uh, I'll tell you, John, if any one of these new gun laws being proposed by the Democrats would somehow have had an effect on these mass shootings, I'd be very open to that. But the problem is you can take every single one of this wish list of gun laws that the Democrats are trying to push right now, and not a single one of them would have had any effect on these mass shootings that we see. Uh, That, to me, is the problem with the we got to do something argument. Yeah, and, and it always bothers me when we have to do something because, and, and a couple of things. First of all, what we have to do is get people back to Christ and, and get a heart change in this country. Otherwise, we're not going to fix any of this. That's a whole right. separate discussion I know we can get into you know, in future podcasts, but that's really the answer. I know people don't like to hear that, even the conservative side I don't, at times I don't think want to hear that. But let me ask you a couple of questions, and this right. is for all of you. Are, are Is cocaine illegal, Bob? Uh, yes, it is. Is sure. uh, I know. Colorado, it's legal, but in certain states, marijuana is illegal, correct? Right. Correct. Um, Heroin, illegal, correct? Correct. Murder is illegal, correct? Well, not if you're unborn, but uh, yes. Mm, Very true. Well said. My point is this. We have lots of laws that are supposed to stop certain things, but the reality is when the heart is evil and it has intent, it really doesn't matter what the law says. That particular individual is going to carry out what they want to carry out, no matter what they use to do so. Right. Well, and I, I think that that's a, a very good point. And Neil, to to what John is saying there, this is part of a fallen, sinful world. I mean, we're trying to create this 
this life of existence in our snowflake bubble zones of this fallen world where we don't have this kind of pain and suffering, but realistically, it's not something that we can eliminate. That doesn't mean that we don't take measures to try to mitigate death and pain if possible, but I think we have this unrealistic expectation that we're not going to have pain and suffering and we're not going to have evil acts when we live in a sin-filled world with a bunch of fallen people. Well, it's it comes back to that argument, you know, guns don't kill people, people kill people. Right. We've heard that phrase before. Uh, a number of years ago, talking about this very issue uh, here on WDCX, um, I said, you know, if it isn't guns, it's going to be something else. One reason I said that, Timothy McVeigh, uh, with the Oklahoma City bombing, uh, his home, he grew up about five miles from where I live. And, um, you know, he used a rider truck filled with fertilizer to take innocent human life. Uh, we had the backpack pressure cooker bombings at the Boston Marathon. And right. uh, there was a knife attack in, in California. Uh, Roger Marsh might know a lot more about mm -hmm. that. But, you know, it was sort of a mass killing with knives. And there's nobody right now, well, how about, you know, so anyway, when, when that came up, I mentioned it's not going to be long before somebody drives a truck into a crowd. And then it happened in France. Mm -hmm. Something similar happened in Ottawa. Uh, so, you know, uh, the bottom line is if somebody has evil in their heart and they intend to kill someone, they're going to find a way to do it. So it really comes down ultimately to human hearts. And, and on the question, like, can we actually stop mass shootings? I think the answer is no. I don't think there's any way to prevent mass shootings across the board. I think there's ways to limit them, perhaps, by caring enough to find out what's going on with individuals who are making hate-filled statements and stuff. And I think as believers, we should pursue efforts to try to limit mass shootings. I, but in all honesty, I don't think they'll ever stop. If they do, then we're going to be looking at some other form of mass killing, because if evil is in the heart of people and it's not been rooted out by the love of Christ, that's what you're going to end up with in a fallen world. Right. Well, and you mentioned the bottom line. I mean, Roger, the bottom line host, of course, of the <laughs> bottom line. Right. I know. Roger's like, hey, ears perked up there. Uh, <laughs> but this, this is true, exactly what Neil is saying. But you still have people that say, but we got all these guns. Why can't we just get rid of the guns? Let's just get rid of the guns. And people don't realize if you make guns illegal— Right now in this country, the only people that are going to own guns are going to be criminals because the law-abiding citizens, look, John, myself, we'll get rid of our guns, we'll obey the laws of man, but then guess what? The bad guys who are out there carrying out an act of murder, they're not going to say, oh, well, I guess I better turn in my gun now because it's against the law. They don't care what the law says. All we've done is fed and created a bigger monster of the black market, and the bad guys are going to have guns. We cannot change that. The only way, the best way to stop a bad guy with a gun, quite frankly, is a good guy with a gun. That's what people like myself and John, I know many other people have been saying, Roger. Yeah, it's an excellent point that you make, and especially when you consider that if we focus too much on the gun ownership and you know the legality part of it, we're missing a huge opportunity, especially in the body of Christ, I think, to really address the issue, as Neil Dooley noted. The issue is evil, first and foremost. I mean, more than anything else, that that's the problem. And if you look at the statistics, I'm looking at some statistics here from the CDC, the number of people who commit suicide, for example, uh, using a gun, not using a gun, it's almost identical. If somebody wants to take their own life, they're going to. When it looks at when you look at the number of deaths that happen, uh, the, the number of people who die just because of illness and regular disease is exponentially greater than people who die with guns. Right. But at the same time, though, you you know people like in this situation, and I do too, 
a gun impacted their life when they were younger. It kind of sparks fear in their heart. And the first thing they think of is, well, if it wasn't for a gun, my brother would still be alive. If it wasn't right. for a gun, my sister wouldn't be in a wheelchair. And so we kind of have to remember that we are in the two kingdoms and people outside the church aren't. So all they have, you know, we, we appeal to our higher authority, obviously, which is, you know, heaven. That's where we're our, our true res- residency and citizenship is. But we also live here. So there are temporal laws like you just described. And you're right. We could change all the laws to make it even tougher. You and John are gun uh, gun owning law abiding citizens. Neil and I choose not to own for you know whatever our reasons are our own. But the, the idea that we can pass more laws and that's somehow going to make people better. That should be a, you know, a real red flag for us in the church saying, hey, wait, the issue is not the guns. The issue is not the law. This is a golden opportunity to have that conversation about good and evil and mm-hmm. where they ultimately lie. Right. Well, and I think one of the things we need to do as well is educate people to a lot of the facts and the evidence surrounding this entire debate that people aren't aware of because the mainstream media, let's be honest, tends to not report the facts. We hear terms like we need common sense gun laws. You know, the Democrat candidates, we need to have common sense gun laws in this country. But what does that mean? It it makes for a nice bumper sticker slogan, but what does that actually really mean? Well, universal background checks. If you hear any of these kind of arguments like, well, we need red flag laws or universal background checks or closing the gun show loopholes. When we hear terminology like this, you got to be wondering, what's the rest of the story? What's the press not telling me? And, and I'll just use one example here. And, and John, I'll, I'll toss it over to you, but I want to get this on the table first. Universal background checks, for example. That sounds good. People hear that and they say, well, yeah, don't we need universal background checks? Nobody should be able to buy a gun without a background check. The truth is almost everybody in this country that buys a gun Uh, gets a background check, an FBI background check on them. I did for the guns I own. John, you did for the guns you own. So this universal background check issue, that's referring to a completely separate issue. For example, uh, one of the guns, one of the several guns that I own happened to be a gun. It's not even a functioning gun, but it was given to me by my dad. All right. My dad gave me this gun. Universal background checks would say that my dad would have to go through all the expense and red tape of registering as an FBI-registered firearms dealer. Then he would have to run an FBI background check on me, his son, just to transfer his gun to me. That's absurd. Uh, It's the private transfers of guns that this universal background check refers to. Now, my point is, when you look at these mass shootings— If these gunmen carrying out these mass shootings, if they were using private transfer of guns uh, to carry out their mass shootings to get around background checks, then I would be willing to explore this issue. But since 0.0% of these gunmen are getting around the background check issue this way, universal background checks does nothing more than hike up the price for guns, create more red tape and expense for low-income people who can't afford it, and stop families from being able to transfer guns. So people need to get more information, John, about uh, universal background checks and the rest of these slogans that are used by the anti-gun crowd. Well said. And I know, Roger, I know you need to, to interrupt me for just one second, so I'll give you the floor and then I'll answer Bob here in just one second once you're finished up. 
Okay, well, thank you, guys. I, I, as we're having this conversation about morality and violence and, you know, how do we curb and, and stem some of these tides, one of the things that I appreciate about uh, Dr. Michael Youssef's ministry is he, as a world traveler, you know, Egyptian origin, you know, now based here in the United States, and this is a guy who understands what it's like to preach the gospel to people who have violence it's kind of in their DNA, you know, that, that's kind of a, a normal way of life. He's so inspiring, and he, he literally uh, has realized this dream of founding a global ministry of leading the way that's been 30 years in the making. Uh, his mission is to equip the saints and seek the lost. And I think that this outreach is so important now more than ever that I want to encourage our National Crawford Roundtable listeners to go to ltw.org forward slash listen. Just hear some of the messages that he shares there and also uh, uh, learn more about the ministry. And if you want to if you want to learn about what it's like to be all in for Christ right now, that's the message that Dr. Yusuf is teaching. Go to ltw.org. You can listen to his messages. You can uh, support the ministry. I encourage you to do so. And when you do, please let uh, them know that you heard about what we're talking about here on the uh, NCR, the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. That's ltw.org. John? All right. So back to the background checks. And, and Bob, I agree with everything you just said. And, and first of all, let me just say this as well. And I am, I'm a firm believer in this. And I know this doesn't like to be uh, stated much and the left doesn't want to hear this, but according to our constitution, the bill of rights, background checks are unconstitutional. I'm surprised they have not been challenged more all the way to the Supreme court. And, and maybe they have, and in my knowledge, they just didn't, didn't have the, the results that, that they should have. But the reality is the founding fathers never said anybody needed to have a background check actually on a weapon, because I think it's very important for us to realize, especially as Christians, that this whole gun debate, and, and while the left wants to push this, you know, self-defense, uh, you know, mechanism and all these different things, and they talk about hunting and, and shooting and all these different things, the reality is when our, when our founding fathers put that into the Constitution, it was not about protecting myself from all of you guys and anybody else that's out in the world. It's to protect myself from a tyrannical government. That's the reason we have the Second Amendment and the Bill of Rights. And when we talk about the Christian side of that, is, is it not my Christian duty to make sure that this country stays the free country that it is so that we can do the other things around the world that we as a country continue to do? We, we are the leading country when it comes to helping other nations, the poor, the needy. We have lifted the entire world literally up and have, have raised poverty, the, the level of poverty up because of us as a nation and the freedoms that we have. And the reality is if we don't protect those freedoms, we're not going to have them any longer. So Bob, to your point, I, I'm one that I don't even believe in background checks because frankly, they do nothing. Second of all, they're not constitutional. Now, now let me throw this out to you guys because that, that's kind of a strong position for John to take. And, and John, i got to be honest with you, I don't have a problem with background checks. I could be wrong about this. I don't have a problem with background checks, but I do have a problem with uh, with background checks being extended all the way beyond what these mass shooters are, are, are using to get their guns. Uh, it does seem, I, I think an argument can be made that in a country of 330 million people, uh, that there are some additional restrictions that may come on to owning a gun. You still have a right to, to own a gun. But if you're in the FBI system as somebody who's carried out acts of gun violence before, uh, don't we want to make sure that maybe that person doesn't? Is there a point where somebody should lose their Second Amendment right to own a gun if they've already shown a willingness to use guns in crimes already? I mean, John, would you be open to any restrictions in that area? Uh, we have laws in that particular area 
already when it comes to, you know, felons not being able to own a gun and so on. But here's the reality, and this is the thing we continue to, to, to miss, and I think the left even continues to miss this, is the fact that do criminals abide by the law? I think the very word criminal means they've not abided by the law up to that point anyway. So what makes us think that a universal background check or a background check of any kind is going to stop a criminal from owning a gun? All right. Well, they're, they're going to get it illegally. I know what you're saying there, but uh, Roger, let me toss it over to you. I feel kind of weird here. I'm the liberal in the conversation now. So <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know how to act. I, I think... Uh, <laughs> well, I, I, can, I can see both of your points. I mean, John makes an excellent point about, uh, you know, the need for uh, what we to protect what we have here in the United States. And Bob, I, I, I'm not a gun owner, so I don't know what it's like to have someone creeping around in all my business in terms of uh, putting all this together. But I think kind of a parallel that I was imagining as you guys were having this conversation is kind of uh, like what we're trying to do with environmental concerns here. California, of course, leads the league in gun control laws and environmental issues, and we still have problems with them because of the fact that the environmental laws are kind of like the old smoking sections and non-smoking sections in restaurants. You guys remember those? I mean, I'm oh, dating yeah. myself here, but yeah, you walk into a restaurant and okay, the first half is for the non-smokers. The second half is for the smokers. Like the smoke wasn't going to go all over the restaurant. Right. You know, the idea is the background checks are designed to keep the non-smokers safe, you know, and the smokers, you know, to be readily identified, but it's going to get everywhere anyway. Um, I, not to keep going back to the temporal kingdom issue, but I think uh, we can, we can background check ourselves all we want to. The fact that the mass shooter in El Paso got his gun and got his ammo from outside the country, uh, Connor Betts in Dayton. I mean, you can put up all those restrictions and say, okay, this is what we're going to do. These, this is the way we're going to check it. But at the end of the day, I think as John Dooley noted, law-abiding citizens will abide by the law. Right. And that, that's it. And those who don't abide by the law, it's like the football team running onto the field when they've got that big banner up there, you know, and it's go fight, win. And everyone just crushes right on through it because they don't care. I was in Chicago, of course, which kind of leads the league in homicides and gun violence. Uh, this was last summer. My daughter and son-in-law decided to take my grandson to go to Wrigley Field. And I said, you're not going to Wrigley Field without grandpa. So I came along, too. And I was amazed walking into the stores in downtown Chicago and seeing the little sticker with the universal red circle on it. And it had a picture of a gun that said, this is a gun-free zone. <laughs> Seriously? Okay, I'm walking into Whole Foods. I'm probably not going to you know, blow the place up. But I thought, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. It's an advertisement. It's, right. It's, it's a shooting zone. Yeah. Exactly. It says, you know, target practice, go for it. You know, right. It's crazy. So I'm not really big on beefing up the laws here because I, I think they're as silly as that sticker in the window. All right. Well, let's talk about gun-free zones, though. I... I Guys, I'll tell you, it makes my eye twitch whenever I see signs like Roger's talking about here, the gun-free zone issue, because it does, in fact, send a message that this is a place for the bad guy to feel comfortable knowing nobody's going to shoot back at him. You remember the Aurora, Colorado uh, massacre that took place several years ago in the movie theater? Well, the gunman drove past uh, several other movie theaters, or actually seven movie theaters uh, in Aurora, Colorado, and six of them were gun-free zones. He drove past some others to get to the one that was not a gun-free zone, and he carried out his massacre. Now, whether that was just a coincidence or whether he did it because he knew it was a gun-free zone, I don't know. But to, to me, it seems part of this debate, gentlemen, has got to be, and John, to your point, I mean, you're there in Denver, okay? It's where you do your Rush to Reason show out of. Uh, so you know this all too well there in Colorado. Uh, these gun-free zones, I'm telling you, are danger zones. They send a message to the gunman that you, that you can kill anybody that you want to. It's like picking off fish in a barrel. 
Yeah, well said. And and you you had a great point on our, our theater shooter here, and we don't even mention names anymore. We do our very best not to because yeah. we don't want to glorify those guys whatsoever. Right. So the you know the shooter did exactly what you just said. Our school shootings that have happened here in Colorado, same situation. Uh, we we now have, and this is this is where it's really becoming a, a very divisive uh, situation. We've got a, a school board, Douglas County School Board here locally, where Dan, my, my co-host during the day, actually his son attends, and the teachers are armed. And uh, there's been no shootings of any kind there, of course. And the reality is there haven't been any either. I've got some stats on what's going on in Texas when it comes to schools that are actually armed. But the reality is the school board here is trying to shut that charter school down because the teachers are armed. And frankly, guys, that's the opposite thing that should be happening. Right. Neil, let me ask you, you're not a gun owner, okay, but you don't see anything wrong with owning guns. Let me just ask you, as a consumer, if you're in a place, if you're in a business, and you see that there's a big gun-free zone sign on the front door, does that actually honestly make you feel more safe? Not at all. For all the reasons that we've already said before, because... People that are intent on carrying out criminal acts are going to carry them out regardless. And somebody said it's basically an advertisement. Hey, come shoot the place up and, you know, prove how tough you are. I, I don't think it would be a deterrent at all, and it certainly doesn't make me feel uh, safer. I, mm-hmm. I guess, you know, in, on the issue of schools maybe and uh, metal detectors so that students aren't able to carry weapons into school, I, I've got no problem with that personally. Arming teachers, I'd be in favor of it actually with proper mm-hmm. training. Um, but there's a lot of, you know, at, at the risk of um, taking this whole thing in another direction, I just I want to say a couple things real quick. If uh, you guys mentioned that law-abiding citizens are the ones, you know, who aren't going to break the law, I think some would if the government comes after everybody's guns. If they decide all of a sudden we're just going to, you know, confiscate yeah. guns, that the, well the fundamental distrust yeah. of government is going to cause yes. some people to hang on to their guns. And now basically by right. definition, every gun is illegal. And the only people that have them are, are those that are distrusting the government or that want to, uh, you know, commit crimes. So one thing I hope we can get to at some point is just the idea of, in the body of Christ, how do we move towards people uh, who are worried about gun violence and, and try to build some kind of a bridge and work with them? Because none of us want to see mass shootings happen. But right. on the other hand, if all we do is defend gun ownership, it kind of looks like we're in favor of that kind of violence. And so I'm wondering what the church can do to help bridge that gap, if at all, if it's even possible. Well, but maybe John, we can talk about that. John, let's toss it over to you. I mean, what do you feel like the church can do in a case like this, and how do we kind of bridge this gap so we really can try to create at least a safer society? And, and by the way, Neil, well said. And real quick, before we do that, and this is right along these lines, by the way, guys, uh, are protecting our families. We've been talking about that really throughout this particular podcast. Dr. James Dobson, he's dedicated more than four decades to preserving and promoting the biblical family, which, by the way, we've talked about how the only way to really preserve and protect our family is through proper raising and getting them involved in the, in the Christian aspect of things and the heart change that happens. But through his radio broadcast ministry, Dr. Dobson believes that godly marriage and parenthood form the necessary foundation of freedom in America, much of what we've been talking about. Without the institution of the biblical family, Goodness and righteousness in our culture cannot survive. We have Cropper Broadcasting proudly partner with Dr. Dobson in preserving and promoting the biblical family through Family Talk, heard every weekday on drjamesdobson.org. Show your support for marriage, parenthood, and the sanctity of human life. 
By becoming a faithful listener of Family Talk, join us in addressing the rapid deterioration of the biblical family in America, which, guys, goes along with everything we're talking about with mass shootings. You can evangelize, encourage, and encourage righteousness in our culture by preserving and promoting the biblical family. Begin today. Go to drjamesdobson.org and reference the Crawford Podcast, the National Crawford Roundtable, when asked how you listen to Family Talk. But, guys, you know, back to what we're talking about when it comes to these things. And, and, uh, and Neil, you're, you're 100% correct. Uh, I, you know, the... When, you, when you've got a particular situation where you walk in and there's a gun-free zone, guys, I'll just tell you right now, I, there are particular places because it's a gun-free zone that, frankly, I will not patronize. Uh, Panera Bread being one of the ones locally that has gone national and said, we just don't want you carrying a gun inside of our stores. That is a particular place that, you know, I'll go there if I have to, but it's not my first choice. And I'm not a big boycott guy. I don't believe in boycotts. I don't think that really does what we feel the end result should be. But personally, will I avoid those particular places? I most definitely will, yes. Yeah. Well, now, what about, though, what about schools? What about churches, even? But let's talk about the schools first. Uh, yeah, I'm with Neil. I I think we ought to arm teachers. That doesn't mean... Arming teachers doesn't mean you make little 75-year-old Mrs. Nussbaum have to carry a gun if she doesn't want to. No. The idea is in a school, you're going to have some people there that have concealed carry license, some people that are gun owners, whether they're some teachers, the gym coach, a janitor. And in those cases, you give people the opportunity to conceal carry or to have a gun there at the school if they would like to. They go through whatever training courses they need to and fine. But I tell you, if if my children are in a school and some gunman comes in there to fire uh, and try to kill as many children as possible, you better believe I want the science teacher, the gym coach, the football coach, the janitor. I want somebody who's armed and trained with a gun to be right there on the scene to take that gunman out before a larger number of children die. But there's a lot of people, Roger, a lot of people real squirrely about the idea of any guns in schools. And the people who are, Bob, are the ones who are just anti-gun altogether. I, it's been my take anyway. We had a school district in Northern California a couple of years ago that actually had a situation where there was a, a shooter on campus. And remember, mass shooting now and school shooting means the gunman at some point was on the campus. There was one school shooting, quote unquote, at a community college here. It was a robbery that went bad and there was a pursuit through downtown Los Angeles. They wound up in the parking lot at Santa Monica City College. And because there had been shooting involved and the guy was taken into custody at Santa Monica College, that was then classified as a school shooting. So I mean, it's kind of nebulous when this happens. But in the Northern California shooting, an assemblyman here, California Assemblyman Tim Donnelly, proposed a bill that would make it absolutely free for any teacher, any school administrator, faculty member to get free gun training. And one entire school in one district, every teacher showed up for the training. It was just remarkable because they all said, we'll do this. You know, not all of us are going to be packing heat, you know, on, on, on campus, but they were willing to do that. And of course, the assembly shot down the bill. They just right. said, you know, we can't do that pun mm -hmm. intended, I guess, uh, because there's that shows you that it's not about protecting children. It's not about protecting innocent lives. It's about getting guns out of the hands of American citizens. And that makes my blood boil. John, what about the argument? And I know you've heard this many times. Oh, to be like the Wild West, do you really want people, teachers that aren't skilled and trained firing guns in all kind of different directions? How many other children are liable to get killed from a bunch of amateurs shooting at each other? Uh, that's the emotional response that's thrown out there. It doesn't 
doesn't make any logical sense if you break it down intellectually, but that's what people, quote unquote, feel sometimes it's going to be like. It wouldn't be the wild west. We had this discussion on my program yesterday where I'll, I'll give you guys a scenario. Would you rather be a shooter armed with an AR-15 that's roaming the halls of the school, walking into a room where you don't know what's behind the door, you open the door, but crouch down in a particular area that's out of the, because it's trained the way we do teacher training in this particular area, which by the way, faster saves life, faster saves lives.org is a great website that talks about all the things we're talking about with school training and so on, teacher training. But would you rather be the shooter walking in unknown into a room where you have no idea what's behind the door, even if you do, you don't know really who's behind the door, and in your blind spot is a armed teacher behind a desk that, she, that he or she knows exactly what they need to do to be, you know, bar, they've got the kids all hit away. They bar, they're behind the desk. They're able to take the first shot at the shooter walking in the door. Would you rather be the shooter walking in the door or the teacher armed? Exactly. And by the way, you mentioned AR-15s. I, I do have to make sure and stress. Uh, when people talk about, well, we need to ban the AR-15s because these shooters, look at how common they're using AR-style weapons. Here's what everybody needs to remember, and John, I know you know this, uh, that the AR-15 happens to be the most popular rifle that is sold in America today. And since it's the most popular rifle, it stands to reason that the bad guys who go out and carry out mass shootings, they're going to, of course, end up buying the most popular. The car they drive probably has Goodyear tires on it because those are the most popular tires uh, in this country. If you ban the AR-15, all that happens is the second place, second most popular gun, it moves up a notch to the most popular gun, and then that's the one that the good guys and the bad guys are going to own more than anything else. But the AR-15 is a semi-automatic rifle, which means it's only one bullet per trigger pull, plain and simple. The outside of it is designed to look more like a military-style weapon. It may be designed to look like that. It gives it a cool look. But as far as its lethality goes, it's one bullet per trigger pull. And I think people need to understand that regarding all the hysteria. Guys, what about churches, though? Uh, there are people that say, and there are churches that have a no-gun policy. I know not everybody agrees with this, but... I don't like that. Uh, quite frankly, I I think there should be people conceal carry inside the churches. If you have a security guard, that's great. But if the guy sitting down the pew from me has a gun or the lady to the right of me has a gun in her purse and she's licensed to carry it, uh, good. I'm glad because if somebody comes in there to shoot up the church, uh, I would like at least one or two people in there to be able to have some bullets firing back at the gunman. And I know that sounds controversial to a lot of people, but uh, Neil, let me throw that over to you. Does it give you in any way an uncomfortable feeling as a non-gun owner to think that there might be somebody sitting next to you with a gun in her purse? Quite the opposite. I feel more protected uh, thinking that there are guns around me uh, for the very reason somebody mentioned earlier the the new life church shooting uh th there was what is it sutherland springs texas i'm having a brain freeze uh south carolina there have been a variety in charleston south carolina mm. variety of places where people uh, came into churches and mm -hmm. and began yeah. shooting if somebody had been carrying a weapon at that point that could have provided some defense I would have been all for it, and I'd feel safer in that kind of situation. Absolutely. Well, it's a very interesting discussion, and I know it's uh, something that a lot of people are talking about, and certainly as believers in Christ, uh, we need to be having these serious discussions as well. And I want to encourage everybody to tune in to the National Crawford Roundtable podcast every week. Next week, we'll be discussing another 
uh, hot topic issue. And of course, you can listen to these podcasts at Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or from wherever you get your podcasts. You can also go online to CrawfordBroadcasting.com and listen to the National Crawford Roundtable podcasts. And John Rush, Rush to Reason out of Denver, Roger Marsh, the bottom line out of Southern California, Neil Boron, uh, Neil Boron Live out of Buffalo, New York, myself, Bob Duco out of Detroit. Gentlemen, it's always great talking with you and spending an hour on the roundtable with you. Thanks so much. Thank you. You bet. Take care, everybody. God bless. You've been listening to the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast, a view of today's culture through a biblical lens. Thank you for joining us. You can download this podcast from Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And it is available at CrawfordBroadcasting.com. Be sure to watch for the next notification on your podcast app for when the next weekly edition is ready for you to hear. This has been a Crawford Broadcasting production.